Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Welcome to episode 56. So we have a great topic highlighted for you today, uh, dating in the LGBTQ community. So now this episode focuses on women dating women in particular, because that's our guest expertise co-host Sue Marriott uh, has a playful and really fun conversation with our special guest, Pam Greenstone. Pam's a therapist in Austin, and she sees individuals and couples and groups, and she as well runs workshops for women dating women. So we welcome her to the show. And before we get started, a big shout out from Canada, a listener from Canada, Turtlehead, we really appreciate you taking the time and sending us that great review. And for those of you out there who are listening and want to show us some support, we really would appreciate it when you go to your podcast player and rate and review us. We are very interested in your thoughts out there. And also tune in to www.therapistuncensored.com backslash events to see what upcoming events we have. We have a, a conference coming up. We have a reading group you can jump into and uh, lots of other things on our website. All right. So let's jump in with Pam Greenstone. So, hey, Pam, welcome. Hi. Welcome aboard. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. We're so glad to have you here live and in the studio. Thank you so much. I really love your podcast. So I've been looking forward to being on it. Oh, that is awesome. So before we get started on this very fun subject, can you just say a little bit about yourself so that folks can know who they're listening to? Sure. I'm a therapist in private practice in Austin. I've been practicing since about 2002 and specializing in eating disorders and couples counseling. And I have a pretty good chunk of my practice that's gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender folks. So I love that work very much. Well, absolutely. And I love that we're going to be able to dig in and focus just on that community because uh, there's not enough time and um, content that is focused on this community and we want to really uh, spell it out. And so whether or not as a listener that you belong to the colored rainbow, uh, we hope that you uh, really tune in because I'm positive that you know people who are and that this will be helpful to you in many ways. And also gender is just an interesting thing. Anyway, so speaking of that, I think you had some thoughts about I did. I just wanted to kind of say at the beginning that my intention is to be inclusive of all folks in the GLBTQ spectrum and that it's not just same-sex dating. When we say that term, it brings to mind the myth of the gender binary and how... Right, like two women or two men. Right. And that's not really enough. That's not quite right. And so I just want to say that... I'm going to hold in my mind that we might be talking about a couple that's made up of a trans man who's gay and a, another gay man. That's right. So we want to, you know, right off the bat, just talk about the gender binary for sure. And the inclusiveness and, you know, that there's all flavors and colors. And one of the things I love about being part of this community and working with this community Mm -hmm. is exactly that, that there is a, you know, literal rainbow of difference. And so I agree with you that sometimes I get a little caught and language fails us here. Right. That's why that there's so many letters Mm -hmm. is because we can't be inclusive enough. That's right. So I think kind of what you're saying is that if we fall into a pattern of speaking about women or men, that we haven't lost the spectrum 
that that falls upon. Right. And just that awareness that a gender binary doesn't exist, but it's more of a continuum and we mm-hmm. all fall somewhere in the middle. Right. It's a the, yeah, male and female is a construct. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, what do you have for us? What are your current thinking? So one of the things, Pam has a specialty in this particular area of dating and has led workshops and has really thought a lot about it and studied it and presents on this. And so tell us like from that perspective, what are the thoughts that you would like to share? Well, I wanted to share kind of how it came to be that I got interested in this topic. And it happened because I was in my own psychotherapy group as a client And I was in this group for a long time. And there were a lot of members who were single and dating. I didn't happen to be single at the time, but I was part of their dating support system and really got to know what it was that was helpful or not helpful in terms of dating support. And I I also saw their struggles. I saw where they were trying to make big decisions about dating and who to date and when to say goodbye and when to try to ask someone out and all the things that happen around dating. And I just got very fascinated. I fell in love with the topic I wanted. And then I looked at our gay community and I was like, where's the dating? Like no one's dating. Everybody's just getting involved kind of with their best friend or getting drunk and hooking up. Or I didn't see a lot of intentional kind of healthy dating patterns in our community. And I really wanted that for my community and and my clients. So I started talking about it more in therapy sessions and then decided to have these, you know, women dating women workshops. And they did so well. So many people came and we had awesome conversations and really fun topics. And several couples developed out of these workshops, which is, <laughs> that you would know, be a really I feel smart very, way to meet people. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of how it got started. And yeah, I just, I loved those dating workshops. I haven't done one in a long time, but, but yeah. That sounds great. So you, you saw people going through it, but are these any things that you, any of this, have you tried out on your own? Have you had the occasion to? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, at the time I was in a long-term relationship, but then I was not. And so I got a chance to use everything I learned because I learned so much about healthy dating while I was doing these workshops. And I thought, I better walk the walk here. Like I can't just go back into my old patterns. I need to be more assertive in my dating. So yes, once I was single and ready to date, I was a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So tell us, so so teach us rock star. uh, How how does this look? You know, when you say, like you said, uh, Mm -hmm. assertive in dating and particularly for women, that might not be the most natural Right. That's right. That's one of the things that happens for lesbian women or bisexual women. Maybe when they've just come out or they're a little bit older, women aren't necessarily socialized to be more assertive and ask people out. They're not taught those skills. So they really struggle with that. And then you've got you've got two women. So no one's ever asking anybody out. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we talk a lot about of, well, what's your style in life, right? Are you more assertive naturally in your life or more passive, more passive aggressive, more aggressive, so that we can kind of get underneath that and figure out how to work on that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, we're taught kind of what works well in our families, I think, in terms of getting what we want. And so sometimes we have to retrain and find new ways of being assertive. So I guess the first thing I want to talk about is the support system. 
And let me back up even from there. When I think about working with people around dating, especially if they're in the GLBTQ umbrella, I hold in mind that they are dealing with a different world than people who aren't in that umbrella, right? Absolutely. Um, That there are three layers that I see that are, there's the cultural context of homophobia or structural homophobia. There's maybe what they were dealing with in their family growing up, that kind of homophobia or stigma around their sexual orientation. And then there's whatever's inside of them, right? There's the internal homophobia or what's now called internalized sexual stigma. And so I really hold that in mind that any act of assertion around dating is huge. It's so, it's so wonderful. So I take this very strength-based approach and I am very positive and I'm, I try to be very positive in all my language and any kind of step they can take, I really support it because it's a big deal. It's that very is, hard to do. That is awesome. You know, I also, I think about, I think in my experience, it's a really, a coming, the coming out process and that it's really different if you have known that you were gay from a very young age and then been navigating this world that has this institutionalized heterosexism by modulating yourself, you know, by basically hiding parts of yourself until you're safe and, or even not even knowing about, you know, not even letting yourself know about yourself, but at a time when we're actually developing our self-identity and that that looks different, I think you can tell me if you've seen this, than somebody who comes out later in life who had the freedom of just figuring themselves out, which is already confusing and horrible (laughs) as it is, but not having that extra layer of being aware of their difference earlier. No, I would agree with that a lot. Uh, Like one of the ways that that's manifest is sometimes I think when people come out later, they're like, I think they have a lot less shame. And, you know, they're like, what? I love you. I'm going to yell it from the rooftops. I have no problem with this, you know. And I'm not saying that across the board, but. Well, it reminds me of, the podcast you had on adolescent neurobiology, right? And how how we feel so watched when we're adolescent or young oh, adult. Yeah, painful. So observed. Yes. And so, yes, to, to be going through that and coming out at the same time seems like a little too much for anybody to handle. And if, and if you don't fit into the gender norms, if you're effeminate or if you're masculine and you, you know, the society says you're not supposed to be, that it just, that's a whole other layer of it. Whether or not you're in the, rainbow spectrum, even just violating uh, gender norms is very stressful. But but certainly when you have both of those things, like uh, I think about passing and not passing, mm-hmm. when folks are able to pass as straight, like there's always an assumption that you're straight versus if they're not able to pass. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so those are kind of some different developmental tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you were headed someplace about the... Yeah, well, I was just trying to list off kind of a few things that mm-hmm. I always keep in mind when I'm working on dating with gay folks or transgender folks. So the strength-based piece, I think of a quote. Is it okay if I read it Please. for you? So right ahead. That's lovely. It's this quote that I found in one of the books I read when I was coming out. And um, I'll read it first, and then I'll tell you who said it and when certainly under the present social setup, a homosexual relationship is more difficult to maintain than a heterosexual one, but doesn't that merely make it more of a challenge and therefore in a sense, more humanly worthwhile. The success of a relationship is revolutionary in the best sense of the word. 
And because it demonstrates the power of human affection over fear and prejudice and taboo, it's actually beneficial to society as a whole, as all demonstrations of faith and courage must be. They raise our collective morale. Ooh. Do you have a guess about when that was oh written? Oh my gosh, I do not. 1948. Wow. By Christopher Isherwood. That what do you is think beautiful. of that quote? I think it's really, really incredible. It's very, it's a, an anti-shame quote, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it, it's the building up. It's how I approach it. I've always had a strong passion for helping um, same-sex couples to have strong relationships. I've always had a, a very big belief in that. And that sums up so well for me why, why that feels important. I think it's good for our society. That is really beautiful. And, you know, for those of you that are listening that haven't really kind of understood the whole thing about pride and pride parades and things like that, it's exactly that. That's not usually the message. You don't look at your infant and say, oh, I can't wait to go to your lesbian wedding. Right. (laughs) I mean, it never happens where that you're being adored and seen and supported in this way that, you know, I'll just share that one of the reasons that I basically have had two relationships, but in my first very long-term relationship, we went and got married when it became legal in California. And the reason for that, literally, even though we had been married like four times in all these different <laughs> you know, domestic partnerships and one that wasn't right. legal and you know those kinds of things. So it's like, why get married again? I literally said that in California at that time, it was an anti-shame bath. That they were meeting people at the airport with lays, with rainbow lays, and the whole city was lit up in rainbow colors. And I wanted to just absorb all of that. And it was really beautiful. So that comes to mind in thinking about this. Yes. Like it's not just tolerated, it's celebrated. Exactly. That's my stance. And I think recently we've had Sally Field come out as a matchmaker for her son who happens to be gay. His name is Sam. And I guess she wanted him to get together with Adam Rapon, the, you know, most famous ice skater that's kind of making big news right now. Yeah, definitely. And I loved that because I, I thought of that as an anti-shame bath. I thought that's his mother saying, I want you to have a partnership. And so to get back to what I was saying before, because building strong gay and lesbian relationships is important to me, I want to start with dating because that's the start of relationships. So that I think those are some of the reasons. That's that the great. Re- they're super great reasons. So teach us how to be dating rock stars. Okay. Well, the first thing I talk about with folks is building a, an adequate support system. And I have a support system diagram that I think you're going to put in the show notes so people can pull it up if they want to look at it. But what it really is, is just a bunch of concentric circles. The middle circle is the self. And then there are three circles outside of that layer A, layer B and layer C. And so now the first section is you have to be your own support when it comes to dating. And what that might mean is if you do have some level of internalized sexual stigma, doing some active work on that. You know, do you, is it hard for you to introduce someone you're dating to people out in the world? That would be some work to do before doing more dating or as you're doing more dating. What about if you're in an environment that is unsafe, uh, community or what have you? How, how do you address that? 
related to this comfort and being I think that what that reminds me of is just levels of coming out right we have to assess when to come out and to whom based on yeah if if it benefits us or not so I guess in a city like Austin Texas which is where I've done most of my work almost everywhere you go you're not going to lose your job you're pretty safe to come out. You're most likely going to get support. At least that's been my experience. Has it been yours? Absolutely here, but, but not. So yeah. So in other places, I think you'd have to be careful. You'd have to really think through, is this, is this coming out? Am I fearful because of an actual threat that I need to keep in mind? Or am I fearful because of my own internalized homophobia? That's, that's exactly right. And the, it makes me think of attachment, actually, even a little bit around that question is a really important discerning question, mm-hmm. because the more that it's more about an internalized sense of not being adequate, mm-hmm. there is some research that shows that coming out and being out and being sort of out and proud is somewhat related to security, that secure folks that have had a secure background will tend to be able to navigate those waters a little more fluidly, just like that's true for most hardships or most obstacles. And so it would be a clue that if you assume that your parent will disown you or that you'll get fired or those things like that, but you haven't tested it, that that would be just a pause of like, it might not be true. That might just be some anxiety that you carry anyway about defining yourself in the world. And it may be worth giving it a shot, a safe shot, a small shot, but and really testing out those beliefs because we often fill in the blank with what it is that we have internalized that what attachment is is how we see ourselves and how we see the world so it's a nice sort of intersection of like don't believe everything you think right (laughs) and it might be worth testing it out I love that I love that exploring that in terms of you know are you going to be on your own side when it comes to dating I guess one of the ways this, this can come up is that if we are waiting to come out until we're in a relationship that can actually sabotage the relationship because then the coming out is now connected to that person and you might end up ending the relationship rather than having to take the step of coming out to your uh, family. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So There's a lot more pressure on the relationship. Right. So there are some... Um, tests you can take to do a self-assessment for your sexual stigma, you know, how much internalized sexual stigma you you hold. And Pam, why sexual stigma? Why that term in particular? And and does that include if I were heterosexual? It's mostly about homophobia, but they there was a period of time when they were working to change that term because it means fear of same-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's not always about fear. I think that that was kind of the... Oh, interesting. Thinking of changing the. So I think it's mostly used just to measure internalized homophobia. Okay, cool. That's my understanding. So then we move to the second layer of the of the support system diagram and that's filled. So I actually have people fill it out with the first names of the people that they go to that are in their life, know about their dating history, have been in their life for a fair amount of time. It's family, it's friends. Can you think of the people you would go to if you were dating right now? And if you're the people that know you, can call you on your stuff, will let you know if if they're concerned about a relationship or don't like the person that you're dating. 
That's great. And, you know, my guess would be that wouldn't be highly populated necessarily, wouldn't need to be. But even if there's just a few solid people or even a person, I, I might even. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And what is this? What is this ring called? So we've got the middle one, which is it's self. layer A. Layer A. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just layer A. <laughs> we need to work on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the close knit circle. Okay. Of there we go. Much better. <laughs> but it's, it's the people that. Um, support you that will call you back so we want people in there that will call you and say I haven't seen you you, right you're dating a new person they haven't seen you for three weeks which is completely unusual and they're going to try to get you back into their life Mm -hmm. so this happens a lot in the lesbian community I would say that people get involved very quickly and then their whole life revolves around one another have you heard of this phenomenon, <laughs> the U-Haul phenomenon? I have, but you know what I've also heard is that it's a bit of a myth. Ah, isn't that interesting? That that is what people think, but that when it's actually studied, that it's not necessarily true. Oh, good one. Well, so, that's I, wonderful. It's yeah. one of those stereotypes that's just based on a few cases. <laughs> exactly. And then we see it when we always see it, so it's very easy to prove. But yeah, the U-Haul. Right. The U-Haul. Well, and it happens in, in straight couples as well and gay men, right? There are some people that are just, and it's probably tied to attachment or some kind of psychological piece that they they need to kind of get enmeshed rather than keep their own independent lives. So yes, definitely. I think that that's probably true. So yeah, so what you're saying is in the that first in layer A, layer one, layer A. So those are the people you go to, they will come get you. They'll come get you. I love that. That's a good they'll listen to all the stories. They'll give you their take (laughs) on it. And you know, like because you're drunk on love at that point. (laughs) Yeah, you don't really have access to your whole brain at all. You forget things. Chemicals are flowing and that's right. We're preoccupied with that person. Exactly. So I think making sure you have one, two, three, a few people in there that you're ready to go to when needed is really important. Okay. And so the next layer? The next layer is just, so it's the, the support system diagram is really just filled with people that are a certain level of closeness to you. So you can use all of them. It's just that the people in the middle or in the outside circle don't necessarily know everything that's going on in your life or can't help with you know, specific things necessarily, but they're on your side and they're people you can call if you need help. That sounds great. You know, it makes me think of something else, which is that sometimes we have people rotating, like let's say in that last circle mm-hmm. that are more peripherally in your life and we may be lonely or we may feel like we don't have people. And that's actually, those, those other two layers might be really good ones to look at as you're even thinking right now of who might you want to promote <laughs> or at least give a shot and see about developing those people because they've been around and they may be somebody in there, maybe somebody that could move into more of an inner ring with, with a little attention and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when we're, when we're single, sometimes it's our, it's our moment in time or our year or our few years or however long we're single to build Lifetime up that sometimes. support system, right? Um, sometimes when we get involved in relationships, we're less likely to kind of keep building it out, which we, we should keep adding people to our support system all the time. I guess the point is that dating's hard and we need support. 
That's kind of the big, the biggest piece. So this is a way of really illustrating, like, these are the people that you're going to go to in all these different circumstances and know which people to go to for which things. And so you can be conscious and intentional of staying connected and that you're not alone and that it's not, you know, if you're not dating someone doesn't mean that you're hanging out there to dry, that you really actually have this rich community around you. Good point. Yeah. It, when people fill out the support system diagram in my office, I see them relax because it's a visual illustration of it. And sometimes they go home and stick it on the refrigerator. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. It's It's beautiful. Yeah. We are not alone. So the other thing that I teach about when it comes to dating so there's this tendency to think about red flags in others, right? We, we start dating and we get scared. Oh, well, what if they're this? What if they're that? Right. If- they texted me too soon. They're more into it than me or. Right. So I help people. Disappeared. Right. What it, right. The ghosting. The, <laughs> I love that term. So what I help them build is a list of the ways that they can find their own red flags. Let's look at their dating history and see if there were signs when they were kind of in trouble, right? When they, these are signs that maybe they're getting involved with someone that's not a great fit or signs that they will leave a relationship too soon because they're getting really uncomfortable or too close, right? For some people getting close scares them. For some people, it's the opposite kind of they get involved with someone who's a terrible fit for them and they want to stay forever. So it's building that list of what are the ways I can know that that's happening so that I can see my own red flags. That makes me think too of the coherent narrative that we're trying to make sense based on our history and tell a story and find patterns. And then we can more deliberately and consciously choose rather than just being on autopilot. Let me ask you yeah. a side question, if you don't mind. Yeah. What do you think about this notion of he's not the one or she's not the one? Well, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> say I don't what? like it because I don't think there's just one. And it remind. I mean, when we talk about same sex dating, maybe we should go to the numbers because gay folks can get pretty scared. Like there aren't that many of yeah, us out the there. The pool isn't that big. The pool's not that big. The community feels so small. You go on one date and you realize they've been on dates with three of your friends. <laughs> it's very, you know, it can be pretty um, frightening to think I'll never be able to find a person who's so anyway, the numbers game that we can get into, but I, I definitely think there's not just a one. So I don't, I don't like that phrase. Yeah, good. Do I you have I, any more thoughts about it? <laughs> uh, yes, I agree with you entirely. I don't think there's the one. I think it's not a helpful concept because you could pass up some really great things. And also that the list often that we make, not the one you're talking about, which I think is great, but of, you know, they need to be this height and this weight and this value and they have to be super smart and they have to, you know, whatever that our list is, what I have found is that who often that you end up with has nothing to do with your list. And, and there's things that you find about them that you never even knew to put on your list. And so it's really just sort of a mental construct, I think, but which, which sort of has to do with this notion of the one. And instead, it's like, can you develop a relationship where that they're your number one? And that you're their number one. Oh, that makes me have goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> and that's more how I like to think of it is like, can you create the one um, right. or the pair? Right. And it reminds me of that concept of good enough, right? The good enough parent, the good enough therapist, and 
a good enough maybe partner or spouse. And it's so interesting as we're talking, I notice, and I this is part of why I love just focusing on dating is because even just then I was drifting into longer term relational work or, or thinking. And so let's pop right back to dating. <laughs> right, <laughs> <Because> okay. <laughs> I'm drifting. So when we think about red, our own red flags, and I'm hoping you can maybe talk about the neurobiology of it, but it makes me think of the anxiety response. Like, what are the things that when they're happening in our dating life, like someone doesn't call after three days or three hours or whatever it might be for us? How do we, you know, calm ourselves down? But that, that might be one of them. Like, your anxiety is really high. That might be a red flag in some way. That something There's something that needs to be taken care of or addressed or looked at right and that might be the anxiety itself that it's just it's anxiety provoking to be developing these new relationships or it might be like again i think about discernment so in other words you might need to soothe yourself and work on some Mm -hmm. auto regulation rather than looking for them to regulate you and be aware that you're probably over reading and and looking too much detail about things and that's it's a good time to distract yourself and if it's going to work this is what i always say if it's going to work it's going to work and it's not everything's not going to hinge on a text or a, a single moment well, i like that if it's going to work it's going to that work. there's no rush right and if it's gonna if it's good it's gonna stay good you know that week or what have you and that way it gets us out of that oh we're on a knife's edge and oh my gosh should i call or not call you know yes So some of the questions I ask people in helping them develop their list are things like, I avoid parties and social events because they're too anxiety provoking for me. So that would be a red flag, right? Because that's going to get in the way of assertiveness of being in these places that we need to be in order to meet people. I don't like to talk about dating with anyone or let people know I'm actively dating. So that would be a red flag, right? That again, that's going to interfere with the process of finding people to date. Oftentimes we're set up, right? We're we find someone through a friend or through this friend, and it also might be a sign that we're there's some shame there or some kind of embarrassment about where we are. Or either that they're being married single. and then they're not <laughs> officially in a poly- polygamous relationship. Well, good polyamory point. relationship. I'm sorry. <laughs> I almost always do the fade away instead of being assertive. I just stop calling rather than telling the person I don't want to see them anymore. Oh, that's dreadful. <laughs> don't do that. If you're one of those people, do not do that. No, wait, hold on. Here's another question. Yes. What about, you know, you're on match or you're on something yes. and you have a few, maybe you have a date or you've been texting for some time or talking. Uh, at what point, like, because sometimes what I'll actually tell people related to assertiveness is it's okay to stop that you're not yet in a, you're not, you haven't gone far enough to actually have to break up, you know, <laughs> but what, what's your take on when that is? I agree. Well, the way I talk about online dating, I say a few things about it. I say, it's a way to meet people. It's not a way to date. So I think you need to meet up pretty quickly in order to find out if it's a good fit. A lot of people spend way too much time texting or trying to get to know each other through their computers or through their phones. Would you agree with that? I absolutely do. And I think you might say this or, you know, you don't go to a movie to get to know someone. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, first of all, you know, eye to eye, face to face, and then really paying attention to your body cues, which is exactly what you're saying. I love that. Yes. Especially how you feel about them once the two of you divide and like you're dropped off or you go home. Uh, And hopefully that's not, you know, well, 
I don't know if this is really true. You can tell me. But I was going to say, hopefully, like there's some value in coming together, meeting, and then going away versus coming together and meeting and a week later <laughs> coming up for air. <laughs> you are already talking about my third concept, which <laughs> oh. is pacing. <laughs> what? And That's fun. Look, Mom, no hands. <laughs> pacing is so vital, I think, when it comes to dating. Because I totally agree with you that when you part, you're free to notice how did this how did I feel when I was with this person? Am I still thinking of them? And in what way? Is it more anxiety? Or is it that they're just in my mind? Or those are two different things. Exactly. Or do I kind of feel a little bad about myself? Right. That's suddenly I don't like my apartment anymore or you know, my dog is bad (laughs) or doesn't sound like a good fit necessarily. It's that sticky stuff. And I think that's that's so important to listen to. It's it's instinct, right? It's Mm -hmm. intuition. It's, it's how we feel in another person's presence. And that is, you can't know that until you spend time with them. Time with them and then without them. And then without them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad we're synced up about this. I totally agree. Yes. I oftentimes can pres- prescribe like, nope, you're not going to see that person for another week just to help give people permission because I think it is hard to say no when you really like someone because of what you think you're saying with that pace, right? Oftentimes, yeah, we're afraid of FOMO. We're going to miss out. Well, that too. That too. But that's a little different than what I'm saying, which is we put meaning to certain levels of pace, right? If they didn't call me, that means... Right. Right? They didn't want to see me on Wednesday. They wanted to wait until Sunday. That means... Yes. So... That's a problem. Because I do that all the time. (laughs) Is that what you're telling me, Pam? (laughs) Yes. Well, it's problematic in dating because... You're already doing things that aren't a good fit for you so early in the relationship, right? We want to set the pace of a relationship based on what's true and based on what we have time for and what we can fit into our life and what we need in terms of time away in order to process and figure out if we really want to continue this relationship. But oftentimes people make those decisions about pacing on just like, well, what did the other person want? Or... What do I want to communicate here? Well, I want them to know I'm interested, so I better, you know, go ahead and make that plan for next weekend, even though it's going to make my weekend crazy and way too packed, and I'm going to be exhausted by the time the work week comes around. So, yeah, I think it it leads to better communication very early on when you can say, oh, I love that you asked me out again for next weekend, and I really want to say yes, and I can't do it. So when, when else can we schedule it? So it's just clear. It's just direct. It's a bit more intentional and, and honest. And it's hard to say no. You know, I think when you like someone and you have hopes about where the relationship is going. So it yeah. takes a lot of, see, it takes your support system. You have to call. <laughs> you have to call somebody and go, I really, really, really want to go out with them on Saturday. But it's going to mean missing, you know, the bat mitzvah of my cousin that I told them I'd be, you know, just holding on to the relationships that you have, holding on to your own life and continuing to do all of those things while you're dating. It takes a lot of help and skill. It does. I was actually just thinking about, well, what about the folks who are listening that identify more like on the preoccupied side or 
on any with any of the insecurity that this all sounds really good but how and i like that you added the call your friend you know get some help with it because what, what i was thinking of with the fomo was like if i don't call or if i don't respond either way then they're not going to stick around so i'm going to do these things for fear of losing out on this opportunity right which is different than is it my right pace and am I also tracking the other person and and regulating myself based on what it appears that they need as well absolutely I don't know how to say that better (laughs) (laughs) very sweet so that sounds great I love that and oh was there anything else about like what this sounds really good but how do we actually do it or other ideas about really digging in when this is what we want to do in our head but our hand keeps reaching towards the phone and we keep checking and you know we, we're doing things that we know that we shouldn't be doing well like you said before our brain is really acting against us in these moments you know we have a lot of impulses we have a lot of fantasies we have a lot of um, hormone levels going way up and then way down right around all these falling in love or interest or affection or sex or any of those things that just bring surges of feeling attractive and then a drop at the same time. So I think that it's about keeping it in your conversation, whether it's with your friends or with a therapist or with, uh, I really believe in group therapy and I can't tell you, (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how helpful it is to be in group therapy while you're dating. It's like a team of people that are really watching carefully, you know, with all of these things, red flags, your own red flags, pacing, you know, all of a sudden you don't come to group therapy for three weeks in a row because (laughs) you're on dates or you're, you know, you're having these mega marathon dates with this person that lasts for (laughs) 36 hours. (laughs) Well, when you finally do show back up at group, your group members are going to confront you about it, hopefully in a caring way. But that I think we need other people because we need other people's brains because we can't quite rely on our own. Oh, that's such a great point. That's why the support system is so vital. (laughs) I can't tell you. I'm impaired. I just know that you're impaired. You know, when you're in that state, it really is true. The natural neurochemicals and And dopamine. And we want to be able to swim around in those. We want to be able to Mm -hmm. fall in love and enjoy it or, you know, have those times when we're getting to know somebody And if we have people in place that will help us, and if we have enough of our own maybe guidelines, I don't like the word rules around dating, but I think just tools that we use. Yeah, having your own personal guidelines or personal tools, that's great. If we're using them, then we can can let ourselves let go a little bit and just enjoy the relationship and not be so worried all the time. Oh, I love that. I really do. You mentioned red flags and talking about red flags of the other person. And that just reminded me of something too that I think about this, which is that it's very easy for us to identify and to be hyper focused on is the other person nice enough? Are they, how's their breath? (laughs) You know, black and white kind of like all of these hype, you know, details. But what we forget is that we may have bad breath. (laughs) And then we, you know, we're this flawed human person too. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, if we're, if we're sizing someone up to be sure and 
you know, think of ourselves in that way too. That and that because once we do get together again, notice I'm shifting into. I'm so glad Long-term you're here. Relationships. Right, but, but just I'll just say this one thing that once that happens is that we want the whole person, and it's not conditional just based on all these drugs and hormones going in. That it becomes something much more robust that includes their warts and all, and. So it's, it's to me, it's helpful to remember that I have warts and all too right. to get me off my high horse of who it is that I think is good enough for me to date. <laughs> yeah, of um, you know that we're all in this together and right, and it speaks to that yeah that good enough partner right right that, that I'm looking a pain, for someone. I'm a pain in the butt mm-hmm. to be in a relationship with. I know that, <laughs> so that it, but that helps me have a lot more openness and empathy when somebody has a quirk or a weirdness. Oh, and I just, yeah, I think those quirks and the weirdness and all the, those are the wonderful things about relationship, right? So we, we want to get to know those things. It's, that's the good stuff, in my opinion. That also reminds me of another thing, which is the whole, you know, oh, I feel like I've known you forever. And there's an idea that we can skip all of the actual getting to know each other. And there's this sort of pseudo intimacy that happens very, very quickly. And so if I tell you everything and I tell you all my flaws up front, then we're good and you don't have to discover those. And <laughs> does that work? That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> but I told you <laughs> that I cling on really tight, you know. So why are you having a problem with me? <laughs> yeah, I do. You know, I do talk with folks a whole lot about the early stage of dating. And how how do you approach those first 5, 10, 15 dates? What's the pace in terms of sharing? And I think people have a lot of questions about that. You know, do I need to tell them that, you know, about my sex drive right now? Do I need to tell them that I'm never going to leave Austin right now? <laughs> you know, what what's too soon? And I think it's that it's that intensity or that anxiety that I hear when I hear those questions. Like, I have to know now if this person's going to be the one, right? And so it's trying to get yourself out of that mindset out of that state, which is just kind of an anxious, fearful state, and into the moment. So a lot of mindfulness, guided meditations, things that remind us that right now, we're in this very early dating stage, just getting to know this person. So I have people actually have... It's, it's infancy. The it's, relationship, if it, there is one to form, is in yes. its infancy. Right. So holding that in mind, and then... I call it multitasking and dating. I want people to have other things they're doing while they're dating so that it's not, success is not if this relationship ends up working out. Success is, oh, I tried this new restaurant. Success is, oh, I shared something about myself that I've been thinking about sharing, but it's hard to do in in dating scenarios. So have other goals while you're dating so that you're not just completely and utterly focused on the date going well. That's just too much pressure. I love that. And you also made me think of this way of pacing. As you said, I do think it's a really important topic. And the way I think of it is like you share just a little bit about yourself, a little bit of vulnerability, but you, you know, you get your heart racing just a little bit and you say something a little more, but you stop there. You don't keep going and you wait and you see how it feels and you see if they reciprocate. And then if they reciprocate and then they're, you know, in their own way, vulnerable or share something or, or handle that well and you feel caught, then you share a little more. And again, this is over time, but that they have to earn your trust. 
and you want them to earn your trust. It's not given away freely. Um, and you can't skip that. You know, you could get married on the second date, but you're still going to have to go through all these <laughs> neurological experiences of, is this a friend or a foe? And all the fear that comes with that. So there's no speeding up that process of coming to trust someone right. and coming to be known and coming to know them. Unfortunately, right. uh, I think a lot of people have tried it. So when I was first dating my wife, I had several people in my support system in place that I could call and tell them all of the things I wanted to do. Like I wanted to move in with her right away. I wanted to declare my love from the rooftops. I wanted to, you know, change everything in my life to include her. Um, but they would get me back to earth. They would help me. It helped to talk about it, number one. And then it also just helped to have someone say, it hadn't even been eight months yet. What are you talking about? And to, to just laugh about just all the chemicals that were flowing and that were so strong and that all that love, it was, it was wonderful and they could enjoy it with me, but they could also make sure I didn't speed up the pace so that then I would become more anxious or distressed or make mistakes that I couldn't undo. I love that. And, you know, as you're talking about all of this stuff, I just keep hearing you promote this secure sense of yourself. And I think it sounds kind of like that if we, if you're coming from the secure place, that there isn't a rush and that there, it, you know, it's less fear driven. And whether it be afraid of them getting closer, afraid of losing them. And I just, I can just feel myself like relaxing as you talk about, you know, taking the pressure off. And so I hope that that comes across really well. And, and it ties right into the whole point of the podcast, which is that the more we can cultivate security in ourselves and in other people, that we're going to be predictable and reliable. But again, none of that has to do with hurrying. Right. <laughs> and all, that way, then I think from a more secure place, we can enjoy it. That's one of the reasons it's good to pace is because of all of those great feelings of feeling attractive mm -hmm. and attracted and all of that good stuff. Why not? Why not? relish it mm -hmm. and stay in it what's the rush to do something more when that's the best part in a lot of ways is I mean that's a it's not the best part actually but it's a wonderful part and well and one other point I wanted to make that I'd forgotten about is that when we're dating different people when we're getting to know many people first of all I call it hellos and goodbyes like dating is all about all these hellos and all these goodbyes and we get very good at that if we date for long enough which is wonderful it's a great skill to have but getting we, out of dating might be something that you might want to wrap around to actually okay and so when we are involved with all these different people we learn things about ourselves that we didn't know that we had no way of knowing until we got involved with lots of different kinds of people and all of their qualities, right? We may find hobbies we never knew we would enjoy. We, so there, there are wonderful parts of dating that aren't related to just finding the love of your life or, you know, a person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. We get to know ourselves. And I think that's a, an incredible part of dating. And again, I love that because I get the focus and not, is not on the other person. Right. It's really on how am I doing and how do I feel and what am I uh, learning about myself? And it takes the pressure off. Pressure so, off. Yes, you're pressure right. Pressure off. That is the... Maybe, maybe that's going to become the title of this. I'm not sure yet. 
So what do you mean by getting out of dating? So particularly women, but again, I want to wrap around too to include men mm-hmm. and same-sex men and same-sex men. That doesn't make any sense. Same-sex men or that are pansexual that, men. That's right. Trans, just trans men. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. And But I was thinking in particular for women, because that one, we aren't socialized to initiate, but also we're not socialized to disappoint. And right. so let's say I'm dating and somebody's or let's flip it around. Like I'm very interested in someone, but they're not interested in me. Right. Or they lose their interest after some dating. What would you say to the person who needs to assert themselves and get out of it? Let's see. That's a that's a big question because it could be related to a lot of things. Like why are they having that trouble? Is are they having trouble seeing the signs? Do they see the signs but they, you know, don't want to disappoint? Is it hard for them to say no in general? Are they are they going to wait until they find someone else to date just so they can at least have some fun, even though they know it's not going anywhere? So I would I would try to establish like what's the reason, and then try to give them the skill that would help them take the step. Oh, that's because great. there are so many right. factors. Well, what made me think of it is when you said that dating was hellos and goodbyes. Yeah, and what I liked about that was it was really clean. The goodbye was clean. And I think sometimes it's hard to make it clean that, you know, just off the cuff, I would say to let yourself say no yes. and that you don't have to take care of their feelings about it. It doesn't mean to be mean or whatever, but clarity, if I'm dating you and you're not that interested in me, it's much more caring to just be upfront about that and let me know like, um, yeah, I'll have feelings about it, but that's way better than anything else. Yes. And it's that person's job to get clear enough so that when they say it, no matter what the response is, they can, they can hang in there. Please, please, (laughs) please. Right. They can, they can listen and then end the conversation. That's right. And not take responsibility for the other person's feelings. That's allowed. We don't have to date someone that we don't want to date just because they haven't come to the same conclusion. And does anything come to your mind about specifically for men dating men or anything else on the gender spectrum? Not off the top of my head. Do you have any thoughts about it? Well, one of the things, you know, I I had the pleasure of having lunch with uh, John Gottman one time and to interview him about his research on long-term same-sex couples. And one of the things he talked about that was really interesting was that men, uh, two men in a relationship, there were a lot of differences between men and women in a relationship and also dating. But a couple of them that I'll just touch on real fast. And by the way, you know, this isn't special to, you know, gay male relationships or female that he was coming at it more from a gender standpoint and gender roles and that we are scripted and socially scripted in these certain ways. But one of the strengths he was talking about with gay men in particular was their capacity for just directness and honesty. (laughs) And they would say things like, you know, I really wish you had pecs like John down the street, like, I just really that. And then the guy would say, yeah, man, me too. But if a, if a heterosexual man were to say that to a woman, you know, that's probably not going to go so well, although it is a natural thing to say. And so there was something inspiring about that, about that. And dating with men is, is can be very, very different. Like we talked earlier in, the, in this episode about women's not being socialized to initiate. Well, men are socialized to initiate. Men initiate like do strangers walking by one another, they are able to more freely respond and have fl- much more flexibility related to their sexual agreements and dating. And then that's caught on. There's definitely that has 
spread, but I think, you know, I don't know if this is perfectly accurate, but it would it's a good guess to think that some of the fluidity in relationships and polyamory and the comfort and setting boundaries and in not just saying that we're going to be monogamous, but then actually cheating or not cheating, hidden, but actually being direct and honest about that comes from gay men. So when you have a man and a man together, another uh, quick thing is that they're less likely, I guess that there's a sense that they're, when a threat happens, and this is, goes into biology, that both, like if I were to pound something and there's a man and a woman, that roughly speaking, a man's nervous system, they both go up because it's startling, but a woman's nervous system goes down much more quickly. And the man is more responsive to these loud noise, you know, to threat, basically. And we can think of evolutionary reasons for that and things like that. But when then when you get two men together, and then you get anger or aggression on either side, that 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 men tend to fight big and louder and have a much more difficult time recovering and doing repair, just because of biology, it's Mm. not and socialization that in a heterosexual relationship, women often are the ones that say, you know, we need to talk. And then he'll go along with that, hopefully. But it's less common for the man, man to initiate the emotional communication. And so when you have two men together, then you have some real freedom, like the getting together to begin with, but some challenges related to uh, initiating, the, those conversations. initiating those conversations that are all overcomable. But we have to kind of re-socialize ourselves to that somebody needs to be paying attention to that and initiating repair and initiating talking about hard things. And that with women, one of the things Gottman said with two women is that they, uh, for example, sex is less frequent but more pleasurable (laughs) was one of his findings. I think I read that. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? And yeah, there's just a higher requirement for intimacy so uh, we might process more and talk about things a lot more. So it's a little harder and, and there's more fighting and stuff like that. But that then the closeness is also greater because all that work is, is already naturally happening. So that was just a quick gender thing. And I, I did want to wrap around and bring men into the conversation. Uh, I guess a perfect one would be to have a gay man here mm-hmm. who could talk about it from his perspective or to do another podcast with a gay man to, I like or somebody idea. on the gender continuum mm-hmm. to be able to really be more inclusive. Right. In a, I in know. I, full I way. definitely steer more toward women because that's been the bulk of my experience with the workshops and with my caseload. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's where all my examples come from. Yes, definitely. <laughs> So just to go, uh, as we're wrapping up, there were a couple of points that were take-home points, I think, that you really wanted people to hear. So can you remind us of what those are? Sure. Just that looking at, if you're dating, if you're out there dating, look at your support system and see how are you a support to yourself and who do you have around you that you can rely on to help you in those moments when you might need support or help in certain ways with your dating life. And can I say one more thing about that? Sure. What I love, again, about it is that it's saying that, one, to trust yourself, that that's the middle circle, trust yourself, but also that we need other people. And that that is, again, always the message of security is that we're comfortable alone, but we're also comfortable asking for help. So the emphasis on asking for help isn't because you don't know what you're doing, but it's it's better than that. It's more of like, we know we don't know everything, and more eyes on this, the better. And so uh, it's a healthy inter- interdependence. And that's actually what security looks like. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the other two, one is um, red flags and how to not only focus on what you see in others and maybe some of their red flag behaviors, but look at your own. What are the things you do that kind of get in your way in terms of your dating life? And then the third is pacing. And we talked a lot about that, how to find a pace that keeps you pretty calm, allows you to have that experience of knowing how the person affected you, having that time away from the relationship. Um, I think by pacing, you mean not going too fast. You're not too worried about somebody going too slow. Is that right? Well, I don't see that as much, Mm -hmm. but I know that can be a problem. I think it, it shows up in just people not dating at all. Oh, right. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you have a different experience? No, I just, I was curious about what you thought. And you know, a thought that I have too about the, these three points is that they're very interdependent, aren't they? And that the pacing, part of why we spent so much time on it, that without the pacing, it's going to be hard to know your red flags. And it'll be hard to then to then know to the top one that when you need to reach out, that you, right. you're going to think you're fine. They're so connected. And, yes. I, and actually, I think you're right. Um, there is a way to slow down the pace in a way that's not healthy for you. And that's maybe not revealing enough about yourself or showing certain parts of you, but not others. So that might be a way that people slow down the pace unintentionally. Right. Or, or fear of commitment, you know, fear of being trapped. And again, all of that for our listeners that have been around for a while, you can begin to hear where some of those more uh, insecure models might come into play with that. So that's great. So Pam, can you tell folks how to reach you if they would like to hear a little more? Sure. I think the best way to reach me is just through my website and it's pgreenstonetherapy.com just like it sounds okay great no no p period or anything just no just pgreenstonetherapy.com okay great and all of this of course will be listed in our show notes we always pack that with great information for those of you interested in this these topics and in the meantime a quick reminder that we do have a reading group that is open that you can find on our website which is therapistuncensored.com and under events there is a reading group that uh, is forming and that will probably go mid-April we'll begin and you can sign up for this reading group from anywhere because it is online and we are reading Attachment Disturbances in Adults Comprehensive Treatment and Repair by Daniel Brown and David Elliott and it is a fantastic but super dense read and don't think I'm just going to buy the book and read it. Well, it certainly do, but uh, then you'll get a seven inch wide book. <laughs> it's pretty dense. So it, this is whether it be with us or with someone else or create a peer group or something to help you get through it because it's, it's awesome and worth it, but it's hard to get through by yourself. Okay. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. And in addition to considering the peer group, please uh, give us a rating and review. We really, really appreciate those and make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss a thing. We will see you around the corner. And thank you so much, Pam. Appreciate you coming. Thank you. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.